Well, like so many Canadians, an estimated 1.4 million independent Alberta Senator Paula Simons can trace part of her family story back to modern-day Ukraine. Today, as senators voted unanimously to support a motion to denounce the Russian invasion of Ukraine, she was one of five chosen to speak on the issue, and here is some of what she had to say. I am an Edmontonian. I begin that way because in Edmonton, we are all honorary Ukrainians of one kind or another. But just like so many Edmontonians, my own family roots in Ukraine run deep. My mother, Olya Dick, was born in Ukraine in a German Mennonite colony called Felsenbach in the province of Dnepokotrovsk. My father's mother, Reza Nardashnikov, was born and raised in the Jewish community in Poltava. The tides of history brought my Jewish family and my German family from Ukraine to Alberta. But this wasn't entirely an accident, since German, Ukrainian, and Jewish immigration to Alberta were intimately intertwined. But today, whatever our roots, we need to unite as Canadians in the face of utterly illegitimate Russian aggression to stand with our Ukrainian-Canadian friends and relations in this time of terror and uncertainty. Well, tonight, the senator and the rest of us look on wondering what lies ahead for Ukraine. Paula Simons joins me now from Edmonton, or I don't believe you're in Edmonton. That might be my mistake. No, no, Thank you so no, much. No, I, I, I am indeed in Edmonton. I am oh, you're in Edmonton. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Ben. You know, one of my memories of moving to Edmonton as a young boy, my mother was working at the CBC, was that I went to school and I, I was from Quebec and I didn't realize there were Ukrainian bilingual classes at my school because I, I didn't know it, that it existed. Uh, and it just, when you spoke today about Edmontonians um, and the deep ties, it just reminded me of back of those days. So the ties are that deep. It, it does run very deep, does it not? Oh, it does run very deep. I mean, the first Ukrainian pioneers came here more than 100 years ago, I guess more than 120 years ago. Uh, and I saw a number today that there are about 350,000 people in Alberta who can trace their roots back to Ukraine. Now, most of those people are ethnic Ukrainian. I, I call myself a kind of honorary Ukrainian because uh, although my family were all from that part of the world, they weren't, they were, you know, on my mom's side, uh, German and on my dad's side, Jewish. But I think for many, many, many people in Edmonton, uh, have a tie and a connection. There was a big rally outside. I don't know if you'd call it a rally, more like a, a you know a, a vigil outside the Alberta Legislature tonight. Uh, and it's a cold evening in Edmonton. Uh, people people here are deeply touched by this because almost everybody knows somebody. I mean. I- I spent time in Ukraine covering this covering this war back in 2014. I was surprised by what happened yesterday. Uh, it, it, the journalist in you, um, the observer in you, the senator as well, were you surprised by the scope and scale or the scale and scope of what we witnessed in the last 24 hours? You know, I mean, <clears throat> the Germans had a word for it when they invaded Poland, Blitzkrieg. I mean, I, I've been worried about this for a long time. I mean, there have been Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border for weeks now. And let's just say I was surprised that the Russians moved in as aggressively as they did, but not shocked, if I can put it that way. I mean, we all, you know, anybody who knows this file, and obviously you know it and and you know it better than I do, uh, knew that this was a possibility. But I think the scale of it and what we're seeing tonight, I mean, the images I'm seeing on Twitter tonight, live streaming of, uh, of, you know, the bombardment of Kiev. It's it's really shocking. I mean, I was thinking back to the joy I felt the day the Berlin Wall came down and that strange sense of disorientation that the Cold War was over. And I feel like we've boomeranged back to a time that I thought was going to be well behind us. 
amazing to think that the day that represented uh, a disorientation in a beautiful way for most of us when that wall fell seems to be able to be able to trace back that day to what Vladimir Putin is up to tonight. Um, is he a rational actor, do you think? You know, that's a very good question. I, I, I saw some discourse tonight that said that we should not we should not pathologize his behavior, that if we that we, if we say he's crazy, that it's a almost, you know, an excuse, a mitigation and b that it's it's disrespectful to people who are actually dealing with mental illness. I mean, I think it's possible to be to act irrationally without being irrational because it depends on you know whether this is rational depends upon where you're standing it's kind of hard for me to imagine that a russia of 2022 which was integrated into the world economy which has a lot to lose in a way that it didn't during the cold war i mean when it was the soviet union the russians controlled their own sort of empire that was not just you know uh, the Soviet Union and its satellite states in you know places like Poland and Yugoslavia, but also uh, you know client states in Latin America, in Asia. If there were economic sanctions, they didn't have the same force and effect. But now Putin has a tremendous amount to lose, and you know the the economic consequences to him and his hold on power could be dire. And at the same time, what I think is really extraordinary needs to be stressed are the number of Russians who are on the streets in places like St. Petersburg and Moscow protesting. I mean, when you protest in Russia, that's very different than protesting in Ottawa or, you know, in Surrey. Uh, people are, are literally in, in Russia standing up and risking their lives to stand up to their own government and say, you know, what are you doing in Ukraine? Because, I mean, that's the other thing that is really difficult to grasp is that, you know, Russians and Ukrainians probably have more in common than either would like to admit. I mean, this is this is like a family feud. This is like going to war with, you know, with people right on your doorstep. And the people of Russia know the people of Ukraine. This is this is this is a very difficult war you would think to sell to his own populace. I know I was reading that today about Russians on the street that people obviously were being interviewed talking about how much they love to go to Ukraine. If you go to Moscow, there are really two kinds of food that everyone eats, Ukrainian food and Georgian food. Those are the restaurants that you get in Moscow. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it is, I mean, it, it is remarkable, for, I think, sometimes for those of us who are on the outside to look at this, what's unfolding, and think that a Russian president would unleash that kind of violence on well, And this is where, you know, I mean, this is, I think, for Russians, you know, the way people in Alberta go to the Okanagan. Um, you know, people in yeah. Russia go, you know, go to Ukraine for the beach. We, we don't, we don't think about that, but you know, these are, these are, these are countries that yes, have had a very, very difficult and fraught history, but you know, do I know what's going through Vladimir Putin's head? I do not. The thing that concerns me as a Canadian Senator is the degree to which Russian propaganda has permeated much of I don't know, I call it the blogosphere in my speech, which probably dates me, but it's all over social media and in my inbox today. You know, people saying, oh, you know, this is only because Christian Freeland is making money somehow, or oh, this is because the World Economic Forum is demanding that Canada do this. It's, it is very disorienting to me to this day to see people on the right so caught up in the embrace of Putin and so caught up in the in the backswell of Russian propaganda. Uh, you know, I was really happy today in the Senate, we stood united. And it was a very difficult week in the Senate when we were debating the Emergencies Act. And it was a, it was a, a very 
difficult couple of days of debate. But today we all stood united, uh, the whole Senate unanimously, um, and senators as diverse as you know myself and Denise Batters standing. Well, we weren't literally shoulder to shoulder because she was in the chamber and I was in Edmonton, but we were, you know, we were philosophically shoulder to shoulder tonight. I spent time with Denise Batters in Kiev. Actually, she was an election monitor there. Yes. So she's, yes. she's known it. Uh, I, I think I interviewed her there back when. Um, well, and that's where, you know, her, her grandparents, I, her grandparents are her great grandparents, but I mean, she, she has family, uh, family right. pioneer roots that, that go back there. So, you know, I mean, I think that it was funny when they were, they, they selected some of us to sort of be the officials, the official speakers today. And right. one of them was uh, Senator Peter Beam, who is a former member of the Canadian Diplomatic Service, was Canada's ambassador to Germany, worked on the last G8 conference, uh, has dealt with Soviet, uh, pardon me, with Russian diplomats. I suppose he dealt with Soviet diplomats too, but with, with Russian diplomats. Um, and this, the motion was his idea. And I, th- I think crafted mostly with his words, but then they asked, you know, for, for people to speak who had Ukrainian family roots. And so that was Senator Batters, Senator Stan Kutcher, uh, Senator Donna Dasko. And then, you know, Donna always calls me an honorary Ukrainian. So <laughs> I decided I, I would speak to not just, you know, not just for myself, but on behalf of, of all, you know, the Ukrainians and, and the people who love Ukrainians in Edmonton. I was going to ask you because I was really, I was struck by, by the fact that you singled out um, misinf- disinformation in that yeah. speech, because I think it is a really important part and certainly something that we're far away from, from this battle here, uh, maybe not emotionally, but certainly physically. But you were very right. There is, this battle is being fought on our territories as well, but mostly in cyberspace. But we get to see yeah. and read this stuff. I really want to ask you about that as soon as we come back. First, I just wanted to quickly ask you about how important it was, because it struck me that it was very important for you to give this speech, just the way it came across. You know, I watch a lot of politicians speak, and you can tell when they're <laughs> when it's a truly an emotional, where there's a real... Uh, there's a lot vested in it. And I just, it must've been important for you to make that speech today. It was, it was important for me to make that speech, but I think of all of us, the person who spoke, you know, I I think for Senator Stan Kutcher, um, who still has family in Ukraine and, you know, for him, this was, this was deeply personal. Uh, Donna Dasko, uh, her Ukrainian roots are, are much, you know, much longer ago, but she has also been in Ukraine working with civil society groups. I'm probably the person who spoke tonight, who spoke this afternoon, who is furthest away from Ukraine. I think all the other four have, have spent time and significant time there. For me, though, you know, this comes at a time, I serve on the Senate Transportation and Communications Committee, and I've been watching with great concern uh, the work that RT, the Russian television uh, station, was doing covering the convoy. Uh, I've been watching with great concern the way Fox News, which uh, it gets preferential uh, carriage in, you know, basically any Canadian family that has basic cable gets Fox. Uh, and the degree to which Fox News presenters are mouthing the words of of Putin. And, you know, because I spend probably more time on social media than is really good for anyone's mental health. I've certainly seen on social media in the last 48 hours in particular, but even over the last two weeks, a rise in, in Russian disinformation. And as someone who was a journalist for 30 years and as someone who studies communications policy and works on communications policy in the Senate, I, I think we have to ask ourselves about how we work, A, to increase media literacy so that ordinary Canadians who maybe do not spend as much time on social media as you and I might understand 
that they need to check the provenance of what they're sharing, that they need to look at, you know, who's who's a real person and who's a Russian bot. Um, and I, I think Canada has some hard questions to ask for itself, not about censorship, but about figuring out how we regulate so that we're not opening a spigot for Russian propaganda and being naive to the consequences of that. I'm speaking with Paula Simons, independent senator from Alberta. The Senate today voted unanimously, something we haven't seen in a while, voted unanimously to support a motion to denounce the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The five senators were chosen to speak. Uh, Paula Simons was one of them. In that speech, you spoke again, as we were talking about sort of the, the plague of disinformation and what you've seen. And I was thinking back to, to you know, the idea of, of you know, a journalist in America in 1980 praising the invasion of, of Afghanistan or, or, you know, mimicking Brezhnev's words. Um, how do you think, I mean, how do you think we put us to put a stop to this? You know, it's so difficult because we saw, you know, and this began, I think, or at least became more, most vividly something that was brought to our awareness during both Donald Trump's uh, election campaign and the Brexit campaign, uh, the referendum in Great Britain, when we sort of belatedly realized to what extent the Russians had played us. And at the time, I thought, you know, there's kind of a delicious irony that, you know, that the, the country of Lenin and Stalin is beating America by weaponizing, you know, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you know, the irony of that, I think, it makes me chuckle in this sort of, you know, existentially angst-filled way. Uh, and it, it made me realize, you know, how naive we all were about the people we interacted with on social media. You know, I assumed when people posted comments at, at, at the time I was still working as a journalist, as a newspaper columnist in Edmonton. So, you know, when, when people interacted with me on Twitter and Facebook, I was used to trolls, but they were like real trolls, people you might bump into as you walk down Jasper Avenue. And it was really only in 2016, I think, that I became aware of the fact that, you know, I had no idea who I was interacting with. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, Nigerian princes trying to get me to help them get their money out. But, you know, the, the people just that, that the Russians would just make up all of these people who would be on Facebook and Twitter and you would interact with them and think that they were real. It was really driven home to me what this meant for Canada in the last couple of weeks during the convoy protests when Facebook, when Meta had to admit after some really good American journalism that a lot of the Facebook pages that were purporting to support this trucker convoy were complete fakes. And they were coming from, I don't know if you want to call them troll farms, but uh, from from boiler rooms in places like Bulgaria, Romania, uh, Vietnam, and Bangladesh. Some of those pages were really just designed to make money to sell people t-shirts uh, and, you know, use, use the, the, you know, the, the anger of the convoy as a way to grift, as a way to, to con people out of their money. But in other cases, I mean, they're there to create the illusion of mass, you know, much larger support for, for this thing than, than was real. And you start to think, you know, are we all living in a Black Mirror episode when you can't trust the evidence of your own eyes? It's a very disorienting feeling. The world kind of shifts under your feet. And I think this is the thing that I've found really frustrating um, now that I've left journalism for politics, gone over to the dark side, as it were, um, when people write to me and I don't know if they're real, you know, um, you, you get sort of bombarded by these email campaigns where you get the same letter sent to you from a thousand different people. 
you can't possibly answer them at the pace that they're coming in. And then you think to yourself, are these even real people? To what extent is this, is, is this an, you know, an engineered campaign engineered by malevolent actors, be they, you know, foreign or domestic designed to color my view of a, of an issue. I mean, it used to be that when you wrote to a politician, you had to like write a letter and you put it in an envelope and you put a stamp on it and you walk to the mailbox and you put it in the mailbox. And when the politician's office got that letter, they went, oh, this is a real person who really cares about this issue. I should pay attention to what they're saying. Now um, it's impossible to know when we get these campaigns, what's organic and what's completely artificial. I think what, what scares me the most about it is that they are there to sow division. And, and whether yep. you're looking at it again today with, with you know, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there will be a campaign in this country to divide opinion on that because it's divisive. And that's yep. what it's about. And it's going to play on issues. You know, uh, it's interesting, right? At this particular moment in history, we have a liberal government uh, led by Justin Trudeau, who is a polarizing figure, and his deputy prime minister, mm-hmm. Christian Freeland, who is, you know, the KGB and Putin have disliked Christian Freeland for a long time. The KGB, you know, watched her when she was a student, um, you know, when there was still a Soviet Union and she was an activist in Ukraine. And, you know, the Russians, there is no love lost there. So, you know, I'm seeing in my inbox and in my, my Twitter feed people saying, well, you know, this is a this is a fake war. This is, you know, Christian Freeland's, you know, Christian Freeland's grandfather was a Nazi sympathizer. Christian Freeland is making money. So because there are people out there in Canada who hate the liberals just reflexively at this point, um, they're able to weaponize uh Minister Freeland's uh, Ukrainian roots. If we happened, I mean, if Aaron O'Toole had won the last election, presumably the Russians, you know, the Russians would have found a different other way to discredit him. Uh, it's, you know, they 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 don't have loyalties; they have interests. And I think sometimes, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast about the history of the uh, the Greek and Persian wars, and you know, the, the historian made the point that when the Persians were defeated by the joint efforts of the Athenians and the Spartans and their other uh, allies, the Persians retreated. And after that, they just dealt in misinformation. They would, they would arm the Spartans and tell them mean things about the Athenians so that the Spartans would beat up the Athenians. And then they would do the same thing. They'd make temporary alliances with the Athenians and poison their minds against the Spartans. Paula, I'm down to my last 30 seconds. I hate to to jump in. So that's enough history. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. uh, I I, I hope to. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much, Ben.